are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7500. On ESPN 1067 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Happy Monday, everybody. This is such a happy weekend, but thank you for joining us here on the Monday edition of the show. Lance, how you doing today, my man? I'm doing good, Noah. You know, obviously not the best results from this past weekend, but I'm doing good. Fantastic weather and the fact that it's college basketball season tomorrow is uh, is really keeping me going right now. Wait, what results do you speak of? Well, I don't understand this football of which we speak. It's basketball <laughs> season, baby. That's right. Absolutely. Basketball season starts tomorrow. Auburn versus Moorhead State. Uh, it's going to be a really exciting game. Moorhead State, actually an NCAA tournament team. Some people might not know that. Last season, they lost by, I believe it was 17 points to West Virginia in the opening round. But anyway, basketball season starting. But the results from this past weekend... Uh, we're subpar for the Auburn Tigers, to say the least. Auburn's 20-3 loss to Texas A&M in College Station. First time the Tigers have ever lost on the road at Texas A&M, again, ever. It was just offensively inept and, and just really disappointing from a lot of different angles. But as we often try and do on the show, I think there are some positive things to take away from it. And that's how we're going to start off today's show. We're going to talk about our impressions of Auburn's 20-3 loss to Texas A&M, as well as tell you about where Auburn can go from here. We'll talk a lot of basketball throughout this week. Also, I'd had, I had half the mind to just start talking about basketball today and not even talk about football just to mess <laughs> with folks. Be like, what are you guys talking about? It's basketball season. But we've already opened that up. Impressions of Auburn's 20-3 loss to Texas A&M. It's funny, Auburn basketball hit the floor on Friday night, and Auburn football was like, oh, yeah, we're a basketball school. Let's go lose. Yeah, absolutely. And I was at the uh, I was at the scrimmage on Friday. Really great scene there. Auburn uh, was not playing, uh, I think, to the to the best of their ability for the majority of that game. But they held Southern Indiana in the exhibition game scoreless for the last nine minutes and two seconds. This team, this basketball team, we're going to talk about it a lot uh, later on throughout the week. But man, they they looked incredibly talented. They they looked raw. They looked like they've got some things to work on, but just incredibly talented. And then, like you mentioned, Auburn football followed it up as like well they took the pressure off of us looks like we don't have to win this weekend impressions of Auburn's 20 to 3 loss to Texas A&M I want to start it out this way here is my first impression of Auburn's loss to Texas A&M don't overreact this fan base has a tendency to do that you step out into the volatile world of Twitter <laughs> and Auburn Twitter at that and you will be looking at takes, extreme takes, on both ends of the spectrum. Auburn is still third in the SEC right now. And with an Ole Miss win over Texas A&M next week, if that happens, and I think that's going to be a good football game, A&M is very capable of beating Ole Miss. I've said this many a time, the law of syllogism does not apply in college football. Just because Team A beats Team B doesn't mean that 
Team A is going to go on and beat Team C just because Team B beat Team C. That's not what that means. But A&M looked really good on defense against Auburn, and they've looked really good on defense for the last couple of weeks. Their offense seems to be taking steps in the right direction, and Ole Miss's defense isn't nearly as good as Auburn's, and we saw that firsthand. We saw that two weeks ago. Like That was a result that happened relatively recently. There is something you can glean from that. But I think it's going to be a good game. It's definitely possible for Ole Miss to win that game. They're at home. If Ole Miss beats Texas A&M next week, Auburn controls their destiny again in the SEC. They just got to win out, and then they'd be in the SEC championship. That's something very far away and something that Auburn fans shouldn't even think about. Auburn fans, and I, I understand this, they are sore. Auburn hasn't scored more than six points in six quarters. Six quarters of football, Auburn has scored six total points. Auburn fans have a right to be sore right now about what happened on Saturday. They have a right to be upset. But on the flip side, I also would go so far to say, don't overreact, pump the brakes. There's still a lot to play for this season. And it's very possible that Auburn gets things going right back in the right direction because two of their last three games are at home. And that's a place that Auburn has played so well at this season. Absolutely. Yeah, I I, I completely agree with you. Not overreacting to this game, I think, is, is one of the things that I took away from it. Like you mentioned, Auburn's still got a lot of things out in front of them. They've still got the opportunity to go to the SEC uh, championship down the line if A&M were to lose to Ole Miss this weekend, and you just broke that down for us. I'm excited about the way that this, this season could still potentially finish. After this game, I was like, you know, it's really disappointing. Offensively, there are a lot of things that I was frustrated with, but overall, I mean, Auburn's still got everything that they want to accomplish out in front of them I'm still excited about the way this season could finish and I'm still very proud of the way that this team has competed up until this point in the season I mean we're talking about this game as a 20 to 3 loss but there was at one point in the third quarter where Auburn could have taken a 6 to 3 lead if Anders Carlson had made a 32 yard field goal it, it, there, there's the, just the opportunity was there for Auburn to seize the moment and they just did it and you know what I'm okay with that uh, as, as this season has gone on I have not found myself after losses, feeling dramatic and upset and frustrated with different things and emotional like I was during Malzahn's last year. But I'm just kind of accepting because I think this team is in a better place mentally than it was last year. I think they're fighting a little bit little bit harder than they were last year. And again, just overreacting to this game, I don't think it is very, is very healthy. It just try and look on the positive side of things uh, and look down the line and see what could be. Now, I will say... While there is that perspective, like you mentioned, Noah, I think it's also very fair to to look at some of the things that happen in this game and and come away frustrated. One of the things that I one of the impressions that I, I also had of this game was Auburn's just the the lack of talent in the trenches, both offensively and defensively. I think a lot of the things that we saw on Saturday for me personally came back to recruiting Auburn's offensive line did not play very well they only had like what 73 yards rushing the 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 uh, offensive line was giving up a lot of pressure Bo Nix was having to scramble a lot in this game he was sacked a few times it was not a good day for the O-line and then on the defensive line even with the ineptitude of Zach Calzada, who was 15 for 29 on the day they still A&M did they were still able to operate somewhat 
somewhat better than Auburn was offensively. They were able to run the ball, had over 200 yards rushing. Both backs, uh, Isaiah Spiller and, and Devon A-Chain, both almost had 100 yards rushing uh, for e- e- each. So it's, it was just not a good day for the defensive line, for the offensive line. Uh, and for me personally, a lot of that comes back to recruiting. And so looking down the line, you know, talking about all these positive things that could happen this season, let's look past that for a moment, or at least I'm looking past that for a moment and thinking about, you know, if this coaching staff can recruit and they can get those guys in the trenches, Auburn is going to be able down the line to win those games because I have confidence in this coaching staff. It's just the talent on the field I don't think is quite where Auburn fans want it to be. And until it gets there, games against Alabama, Georgia, A&M, even LSU, I mean, it's just going to be a struggle. Yeah, Saturday, and that was actually the second point that I was going to take us in. And you and Dan Peck, you, you saw it on after the game. I know you tweeted about it, and I agree with that sentiment talking about how there's eight and four talent around Bo Nix. And there's a lot to unpack here. I opened it up saying don't overreact, but it's also fair to criticize what happened. It was a 20 Mm -hmm. to three loss and Auburn hasn't scored, but six points in six quarters. And the first thing that came to mind about the on-field performance in regards to Auburn here is Saturday serves as a reminder that recruiting has to improve for Auburn to take the next step. Auburn is going to continue to be an 8-4, and 9-3 football team year in and year out if they continue to recruit at the level that Malzahn left them. If this coaching staff can't take it to the next level, then it's going to continue to be like this. X's and O's are awesome. I think this coaching staff, for the most part this year, even though I hated Saturday's game plan on the offensive side of the football, I absolutely hated it, detested it, even though I wasn't a big fan of that on Saturday. I think for the most part, X's and O's have been solid this year. But Jimmy's and Joe's win football games. At the end of the day, Jimmy's and Joe's win football games, especially in the way that Auburn's trying to play football on offense and defense, which is straightforward, head-on-head. You remember Ryan Harson's comments after the Georgia game. He said this is the type of program, basically, that Auburn wants to emulate, that they want to be able to become. And that's to be able to play straight up and beat you because they're more talented and be able to out-physical you. It's about fundamentals. It's a very straightforward approach. And right now, Auburn doesn't have the same Jimmys and Joes as Alabama, Georgia, and LSU, all who in the last decade have taken the next step with different head coaches. I mean, Nick Saban did it a little over a decade ago, and they continue to rumble along. Kirby Smart has taken Georgia to the next step, and LSU won a national championship with Ed Orgeron. That came with dudes, not scheme. Auburn's dudes aren't here yet. And I don't know if Auburn's dudes are going to show up. I don't know if Auburn is going to elevate their recruiting with this coaching staff. That's still the question that hasn't been answered yet because there hasn't been a signing class yet by these guys. I mean, they've had one, but that wasn't really their class. That was them trying to make up for Malzahn's inefficiencies on the recruiting trail. This year's recruiting class, they're still on an uphill battle because they haven't had the time to build the relationships with this crop of seniors that happens when they're juniors so you really can begin to evaluate this group of recruiters on Auburn staff in next year's class not this year's but next year's class when these juniors turn to seniors and that's where you begin to see Auburn's visitors this year and some of their crazy visitor lists that they've had for football games where they have a lot of four and five star players whereas you look at Auburn's recruiting class this year there's a lot of threes a lot of low fours players such as that they're going to hit the transfer portal hard so Right now, you can't fully, you can't fully evaluate this group of recruiters yet 
you're going to have to wait another year, year and a half before you can see that. But look at the position groups that underperformed in this ballgame. And you're hitting the nail on the head here, Lance. The offensive line, wide receivers, and defensive line all struggled on Saturday. Receivers, they've recruited that well, but they're super young. We'll kind of exclude that from this conversation because they have recruited that position group well. Offensive line, they've recruited more poor than anybody else in this league. I mean, especially considering Auburn's, your expectation for where Auburn football should be and how they should recruit and the teams that they surround themselves with, with the, the company that they have and where you would like Auburn to be placing in the league every year. Auburn's worse than all of those teams in recruiting. And you look at how the offensive line played. They gave up four sacks, eight tackles for loss. A&M gave up no sacks and only four tackles for loss. A&M's offensive line outplayed Auburn. And then likewise, the defensive line outperformed Auburn as well. It was poetic that A&M earned the commitment of their highest rated recruit in program history after the ballgame, a defensive lineman that was rated higher than Miles Garrett was when he was coming out of high school. We all know what Miles Garrett's doing in the NFL right now. He's the league leader in sacks. That's the type of player that A&M's bringing in, and they've done that on a year-in, a year-out basis. You can see why A&M outperformed Auburn in the trenches on the offensive and defensive lines. And I'll be real, you and I were wrong. All last week, we were cocky. We thought Auburn's lines were outperforming A&M going into this ballgame, and I think statistically they were. We were fooled. We said that A&M was fooling people. We were fooled by Auburn's lines. And when it came back to equilibrium and it came down to Jimmy's and Joe's, A&M's Jimmy's and Joe's were better than Auburn's. And I don't want to make any excuse for myself here. I want to, to right off the bat say what you're saying. I looked at a lot of different numbers. We looked at their performances against competition that, quite frankly, has not been very good this season. Like teams like Missouri, Arkansas, South Carolina, Mississippi State. And I mean, Auburn handled Arkansas and A&M got blown out. Right. There were, there were things that should have indicated that Auburn would have had a better opportunity to win this game than they did, I think. And at the end of the day, like you mentioned, it was just they simply got uh, they, they got outplayed by better talent. And I think uh, a comparison that we could make is, again, Auburn's basketball uh, game this, uh, this past Friday, their exhibition game. They've got all these four and five stars on roster, and they're playing a Division II Southern Indiana team that's keeping it close for maybe to for maybe what 55 60% of the ball game and then talent took over after that point it was not x's and o's that's not what Bruce Pearl's known for he's known for getting the best talent in there building that chemistry and and, and making a team work just based off all of the talent that they have on roster in that exhibition game you just got to see that on full display and like you mentioned earlier, Noah, that's kind of where Auburn wants to be eventually at some point. Now, I really like this coaching staff, and I do like the thing that they're doing from a schematic standpoint outside of maybe what Mike Bobo did uh, on Saturday, and we'll get to that later on in the show. But I really do think that recruiting is going to play a really important role in Auburn's success in 50-50 games like this in the future. And and like you said, it's not going to be this year's class. It's going to be next year's class. So Talking about, at the beginning of the show, not overreacting, I think also something else you have to take into account is just having patience with this team and with this program because, like Harson said, whenever he got here, it's not going to happen overnight. It's going to be a process 
to get this program to the level of Georgia, Alabama, and, and places like Clemson and Ohio State, if we're going to elevate ourselves as a program to that point, it's going to take a little bit of time. So everybody that, that wants to jump to conclusions now, I don't think that there are a ton of people out there that are necessarily doing that. But anybody that would want to jump to conclusions after maybe this game or this season and say that this this experiment, this Harson experiment is not going to work, I would just think that it's best if we hold off on that and we give it just a little bit more time to see if he can really turn this program around. And again, for me, a lot of it comes down to can he recruit? And going back to our first point, our first impression of Auburn's 23 loss to Texas A&M, and we were saying don't overreact. Auburn still has a I would say a relatively good chance to be able to control their own destiny again. If Ole Miss can beat A&M next weekend, Auburn's right back in. All they have to do is win out and they're in the SEC championship. But here's what I have to say about this. Here's the reality. It's another year where Auburn is not going to the college football playoff. Mm -hmm. How many of us really expected that to happen this season anyway? A lot of people getting upset. Auburn controlled their own destiny and then lost. Here we are again, another three or four loss season. I get that. But let's put all of this into perspective. Projections around the country had Auburn as a five and seven or six and six football team. You and I on this show were a lot higher up on this team than that. At the best, you were seeing folks peg this team as seven and five. You and I were saying eight and four at least. And right now they're right on track to go eight and four if they beat Mississippi State and South Carolina, which they'll be favored to do so. Right now, I believe they're five-and-a-half-point favorites over Mississippi State at home. And with the way Alabama's playing right now, they're certainly vulnerable. You can you continue to see the same issues for Alabama on a week-in and week-out basis. Auburn at home is going to be able to play a lot better than if that game was in Bryant-Denny Stadium. I think that's very much so going to be a competitive football game at season's end. I would not put Auburn out of the realm of possibility of winning that game just because they lost to Texas A&M. So right now, it's not out of the realm of possibility for Auburn to still beat Alabama at home and end this year on a positive note, finish 9-3. and three. But if not, at the worst, I think this team's going to finish 8-4, and four, which is a good spot to be at in comparison to where everybody projected this team to be at. But I'll also say this. On the other side of the coin, Auburn played bad on Saturday. I didn't love the plan. And I thought the execution was poor. A lot went wrong on Saturday. I'm not excusing that. I won't make any excuses about that. But keep in mind, we've seen Auburn also play really well at times this season. They had beaten two ranked teams leading up into this game. This was their fourth ranked game in a row. They're still ranked number 16 in the country. I promise you that your life is not over. Football does not have to dictate your happiness. And there is still more good performances to come from Auburn this season and a couple of home games as well. Hartson's done a really good job with this team. I'm really pleased. It's just the game of football, and one week you're going to play awesome. The next week you may not play awesome, especially when you have the level of talent that you've got here at this program. That does have to take the next step. So I think it's kind of a mixed bag of things to talk about today, and we'll keep talking about it throughout the show. Keith is on the line with us. We'll be back in just a few moments. Keith, stay on the phone lines. We'll get you in when you come back. We'll be back here in just a moment here on On the Line. On the line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama giving our impressions of Auburn's 20-3 loss to Texas A&M. 
We're going to head to the phone lines now, and we're taking your calls all show long, 334-321-1390. Our text line at 334-564-1840. And Keith has been waiting patiently for us. Keith, how's it going, man? Uh, it's going pretty good. Um, yeah, I still feel good about the team. Uh, you know, I have seen in the last several years if uh, when Malzahn was there that by now I'd be ready to go to strictly hunting, fishing, and girls' volleyball. But uh, I ain't there yet. I I'm still with them, and uh, I think that they're fighting. And uh, I think this this weekend was just a, a product of Texas A&M having two weeks to prepare, and you know uh, we and they would match up physically and uh, able to play eight in the box, and you know with playing two and three tight ends and stuff like that, uh, you know we're uh, automatically we're kind of packed in like that. So uh, it, it kind of is to their advantage if they're physically uh, you know equal or better, but. Um, yeah, you know, I, I just talked myself into thinking that they were going to break it open on, you know, find some wrinkles to get some open receivers, but they didn't give us time. You know, they had uh, eight in the box and then just sending people and putting enough pressure on it where it just uh, worked for them, but they still didn't score offensive touchdowns. So I, I feel good. Yeah, and I'm still with this team too, and I think everybody should be. And, I, and that's the vibe that I still get. I, I There's a lot of criticism on on Bo and then the offensive game plan. But for the most part, I mean, Auburn's still playing many, meaningful football in November, which is more than we can say for a lot of the, the last couple of years for Malzahn. So there's a big reason to still be with this team right there is that Harson still got him playing meaningful football into the end of the season. Yeah, I, I think we have the right people in charge. And uh, I think that they'll uh, fight and claw and scratch and, and come up with uh, – uh, the mix of uh, players that we need to complement what we have coming back. And I think that they're, they'll keep us in that fight. And uh, the longer they're there, the better they'll do with that. I agree with that. It's going to take time, but I'm with you, Keith. Appreciate the call, my man. Yes, sir. Thanks. That was Keith on the line with us here, talking with us here on On the Line, the Monday edition of the show. Impressions of Auburn's 20-3 to loss to Texas A&M. Let's keep unpacking this ball game here. We're going to unpack it all show long. Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports will join us in our next segment to talk Alabama and how the entire Alabama fan base is whining like petulant children who didn't get what they wanted on Christmas after only a 20 to 14 win over the LSU Tigers, whereas Auburn's got real issues right now, just <laughs> lost a football game. But I want to talk about quarterback play here and we'll dive more into the offensive game plan a little bit later, but it is fair to criticize Bo. I think there's been opposite ends of the spectrum here and just gauging fan interest on social media. There are people out there that are back to just destroying Bo on social media, but then there's also people there that are quick to aid him. It's pretty split down the middle back of the quarterback position. I'll say this. Bo is still the right quarterback for the job. You should not be moving on from him. He has improved a lot. He has shown us a lot of improvement, but he played bad on Saturday. I agree. Uh, like you mentioned, Dan Peck and I did after the game right here on ESPN 106.7 to kind of recap Auburn's loss. And something that a couple of callers were saying is that, you know, it would have been nice to see uh, to see TJ Finley get to play uh, in the second half of that football game just to see if we could get something going. And I'm going to be honest, I'm not... I'm not saying that opinion is just like disgustingly wrong, but I was talking to Dan about it on on air on Saturday and I was like, you know, 
I don't know how bringing in TJ Finley would have benefited Auburn either in that game or down the line in the future because like you mentioned Noah Bonix has proven uh, two or three times this season that he is Auburn's starting quarterback and he's going to give them the best chance to win they beat LSU in Death Valley that was a great Bonix performance they beat Arkansas on the road that may be Bonix's best performance of his entire career and then they beat Ole Miss this past weekend and Bonix had what three touchdowns that he accounted for in that game so he's been playing really well well so far and I just don't see how TJ Finley who is a who is a slower less mobile looks like actually I'm gonna be honest a less accurate passer than Bo Nix I just don't see how putting him in that game would have benefited Auburn in any way because what were we talking about as issues earlier we were talking about the pressure on the quarterback being a problem we were talking about the inability of the running game to get going being an issue so bringing in more of a pocket passer I don't think would have helped especially whenever whenever Auburn was not able to push the ball downfield very often against Texas A&M in that game at all. So I just don't I don't think that that saying anything other than Bo Nix is going to be the quarterback, at least for the remainder of the season, uh, I, th- I think is just is just the, the wrong take. Now, do I think that T.J. Finley is a terrible quarterback? No. I just believe in this coaching staff, and if they've got Nix out there playing, he gives Auburn the best chance to win. Even after he fumbles and A&M picks it up and returns it for a touchdown, I still believe that Nix is the leader of this offense, and I still have a lot of faith in, in what he could potentially do for Auburn moving forward because I do think I think he is getting better as the weeks go by. He just ran into a really good defense. Let's head to the phone lines really quickly here. We've got a minute here for Mark on the line with us. Mark, you got a minute. How's it going, man? It's going great. I missed the beginning of the show, and I was wondering if you actually ate a crow live on air. Yeah, I honestly (laughs) should have because I was really cocky last week, Mark. Yeah, I I couldn't understand what you were were talking about, but it it made me optimistic. But everybody else I talked to thought that this would – at best be a close game and so I was just wondering what you were thinking you know and we've been unpacking this a mixed bag of results here for Auburn I think you know and we were just talking about quarterback play Bo didn't play well his receivers went back to dropping balls his offensive line didn't help him out hardly at all I think the game plan was poor I thought the defense played really well up until that last 10 minutes of of play but there's a lot to unpack here and I was fooled. I said that A&M was fooling folks, but I'll be honest with you. I'll, I'll eat the crow right here. I think that I was fooled at the end of the day about Texas A&M. Mark, we appreciate the call, my man. Thank you. That was Mark on the line with us. If you want to call in, number to call 334-321-1390. Yeah, I'm going to be saying that I'm wrong a lot this week. We'll be back with more of On the Line on the other side of this break. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Sports Central Alabama impressions. Today, but we got Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports here on the show with us to talk to us about the Alabama Crimson Tide. 
Jeremy, appreciate you joining us today. Hey, man, glad to be here. I'm glad uh, you you made it through the children's playground that uh, was Kyle. <laughs> I told you, listen, I told I told Noah last week, Lance, he came in the office, he was super fired up, and I was like, you guys do this to yourselves every year, whether you're actually going to make it to the SEC title game or not. Auburn fans are straight from, they don't go in the shallow. Noah is, no, I won't say Auburn fans, Noah is not a shallow end type of guy. He's an Olympic-sized pool, high dive, belly flop, and he was all in on this Auburn season. And Auburn is going to probably finish right where he and I thought they would, 9-3, and 8-4. and four. Yeah, and, To be fair, my preseason predictions are very much so. But, but there's nothing wrong. Listen, they're, they're better than they were last year. Bo Nix is a better quarterback than he was last year. Um, I, the receivers are probably better than they were playing high, at a higher level of their talent than the receivers did last year. Offensive line is having some problems, but Auburn is better than they were last year, and Brian Harson is probably a better coach than Gus Malzahn. But I had to tell Noah, it's okay to go into the shallow end a little bit and not not think that you're getting a, a brand-new car for your 16th birthday. Maybe your parents are going to buy you an old beater or something. It's going to be okay. Just take the shallow end. Yeah. At least we aren't the petulant children who are complaining about a win in an 8-1 and one season right now. Alabama – 20 to 14 winners over LSU. Come on. Y'all's perspective is a little wayward right now, right? That's a four and five LSU team that comes into Bryant Denny. But has, the season's alive. Oh, but that, that's not for So Nick Saban, I, the people that say Alabama fans should not have high, like you want the, a win is a win is not a philosophy in Tuscaloosa. We're told to not look at the scoreboard. Don't look at the scoreboard. Look at how you play. Play each play like it's a it has a it's a game in itself. And Alabama for the got dominated in the second half. LSU had about roughly 250 yards in the second half. Alabama had 102 and 58 of those were on a touchdown pass. This Alabama team has some problems. Um, texting a few guys that I know in the program, and you know they're not tipping anything off. But uh, there's like this there's this weird feeling around everything that that. That's just like it's it's a it's trending downward, and Alabama has gotten maybe a little worse if you take outside of that Mississippi State game for the last three big ball games that they've been in, which is A and M on the road, Tennessee in a rivalry game at home, whereas you had a one possession game, and Alabama has been in a one possession game against three, four, and four teams this year in the fourth quarter. That's Florida. Um, uh, Tennessee and LSU and not even mentioning going to Kyle field where Zach Calzada was still playing really bad football. They had a banged up offensive line and we're missing one or two cornerbacks. So Alabama's got some things to get straightened out. Now you're right. The season's right there. Everything you're playing for is still very much still in front of you. Two. You're still, well, maybe, I don't know. Well, they, you're number two in the AB poll, yeah, right? Well, or that, no, you're number three the f- the closing fake, in. It's the fake poll, but you know, it, it, it is, is everything still in front of you, but Alabama's got some problems that uh, are clearly being taken advantage of by everybody that you play right now, and you got to get it fixed. I've said this to you before when we were doing the show. Alabama problems are like rich kid problems. It's like, oh, I didn't get the Mercedes that I wanted, right? I still just think it's it's wild. And this year in college football, we just had eight ranked teams lose this past week. Oh, it could have been worse. Eight. And Alabama has had some good performances this year, and they've had some not-so-good performances. But one thing is certain, they're still 8-1, and and they're still winning. Well, I think Alabama fans' biggest frustration outside of the offensive line is 
you know, Bryce Sean got hit probably 70%, got hit on probably 70% or at least hurried on 70% of his dropbacks, getting banged up for the entirety of the ball game. still finds a way to throw for over 300 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. But it's like, no, imagine your dad is a multi-multi-millionaire, has a business, and he, he leaves it to you. And he gives you a book with all the instructions on it on on how to keep it going. And somehow you my dad, Steve Sarkeesian. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Your father, Steve Sarkeesian. And and you find a way to ruin it in 10 months. That is what Bill O'Brien has done to this Alabama offense. They are now averaging under 40 points per game against power five. Oh, the humanity. Gosh. 21 points against Tennessee in the fourth quarter. You played very poorly against A&M, and you come out against the 113th-ranked rush defense in America, and you find a way to run for six yards. This is a problem. Bill O'Brien, the offense has gotten worse almost each and every week, and um, I don't think you've seen much improvement from the loss at Texas A&M. You haven't really seen much improvement, and it starts up front, but I'm not sure how they fixed that problem because we thought a lot of people thought that if Chris Owens went to center and I was one of them, he would be more comfortable. Well, he was bad there. Damian George probably played better at right tackle Saturday night than Chris Owens had played at right tackle all year. So Alabama's got they got some issues and they got to get them figured out. On a scale of one to ten, looking at these last three games, you've got New Mexico State. Let's forget about them this weekend. You've got Arkansas and Auburn, those final two SEC games. On a scale of one to ten, how confident are you in the Tide taking one or both of those games? Uh, you know they'll they'll beat Arkansas. Uh, I think that's a given, but I think it's, this is They'll a, dismantle Arkansas. That's a, a good matchup. 55-45 th- is probably how I'm leaning towards the Iron Bowl. Alabama 55% chance to win. I don't think they're that much better than Auburn. Now, Alabama's defense played phenomenally. Their defense, our offense hung them out to dry in the second half. They got every stop they needed to have, and it was the first time in Pete Golding's career. Seriously, first time in his career that he got a stop when he had to get a stop with the game on the line. I called him out for it against A&M when he gave up 10 points at the end of the game. Well, he gets it done at home against LSU, but I'm not, I don't have a lot of confidence that this Alabama offensive line and this team can go on the road and play great football for four quarters because if I'm Auburn, there I, I bring six every play, and I know that that offensive line is not going to communicate well. They're going to miss blocks. They're going to hit the quarterback, and you can keep Alabama with them you know, scoring 22 to 25 points, and, and you're, you'll have a chance to win the game in the fourth quarter. I don't think there's an Alabama fan out there, even after what Auburn did at A&M, which was – not great offensively, but a phenomenal defensive performance. There's not an Alabama fan out there that probably thinks that Alabama has more than a 75% chance to, I would say, 60% chance to win at Auburn. I mean, I think it's almost a coin flip game. Earlier, you said that if Alabama played, and I don't know if you've said that on air yet, but when you and I have talked today, you said that if Alabama played Auburn's schedule, they would have one less loss. Explain that. Well, if Alabama played Georgia, they wouldn't. I don't think they'd win. Georgia, it really. I don't think it's just. It is right now. It's Georgia and everybody else. But if you give Nick Saban one game, you know he's probably the coach in the country that would have the best chance to beat Georgia if you just put him on a neutral field and said go after it. Which we may get to see that, yeah, and and you might see it. But I don't think that you would. If Alabama played Georgia two weeks ago, I don't know if they beat Georgia. And but I think if if Alabama, so Alabama and Auburn have a ton of common opponents. But they don't have Georgia and Penn State in common. Alabama probably beats Penn State week three. But if they play Georgia in the middle of the season the way Auburn did, they probably don't win that game, and they both lost to A&M. I mean, if Alabama played Georgia, they'd probably only have one more win than Auburn does right now. And um, not that these are the same type of ball teams, 
But if you just look at the schedule, Alabama and Auburn are kind of similarly right there when you talk about common opponents and what they would probably do against the Georgia team. This is like 2019 all over again. That's what it feels like. It feels like we are on track for an Iron Bowl where if Auburn wins it, Auburn would end up being ranked or should be ranked higher than Alabama in the last college football playoff bowl. And then both of these teams are playing somewhat meaningless ball games in the postseason. Oh, yeah. No, but listen, I've been meaningless. So this whole season for Alabama is not about winning an SEC title. And it's, you know, you have a Heisman contender quarterback, maybe still the leader for the Heisman. You talk about quarterbacks. You have a defense that's good enough to win a national title, but you just don't have the pieces around it. So if you're Alabama and if you don't, if you're not in the college football playoff and it, it's bad to say, and the guys are working hard, but the season's a bust. You saw it a couple years ago. Is Alabama. it basketball season yet for you, too? No, no. It's basketball man, season was, for us. Alabama's probably <laughs> going to be Atlanta. No, listen, I, I listened to the opening show. You didn't even act like you didn't know what football was. But both these I teams. came into work that way, too. Yeah, both these teams. I feel that way right now. Yeah, but Lance and, you know, we'll let Lance in on this. But both, I mean, Alabama's still got everything they want in front of them. They win the Iron Bowl. You're in Atlanta, and you have a shot at Georgia. And I don't know what that opening line would be. I'd, I'd probably favor Georgia on a neutral field. What do you say, eight and a half right now? I think it's fair. Yeah, I think eight and a half. It, it, I, yeah, I, if if I were making the line, I'd probably put it at eight and a half. Yeah, but would you but, take Alabama in the points? I don't know if this <laughs> offense can score on them. No. I really don't. Uh, that's that's what I was going to ask you, Jeremy. Is I didn't watch enough of the LSU game. Alabama had six rushing yards, their worst total in fourteen years. Coincidentally, the last time the time they had this low of a rushing total was against uh, LSU. How did that happen? Was was Alabama just simply not running the ball, or was LSU just simply uh, simply dropping Brian Robinson in the backfield? Oh man, people were well, they were screaming sack yards, twenty two sack yards, dude. Brian Robinson averaged a yard one point two yards per carry. That's not. I mean, they yeah, hit eighteen you rushing can yards. Scream sack yards all you want, but Alabama's had probably thirty sack yards a game because they give up almost more sacks than anybody. They get tackled for loss more than anybody. Okay, so they would have had thirty six rushing yards yeah, if you take the sack yards out of it. That's still not good. That's, and that's worse than not good. That's but, horrendous. But I, I just don't know how they're going to be able to piece this together. You look across the offensive line, there's only one top 100 recruit or higher coming out of high school, and it's Evan Neal. Damian George and Javion Cohen were 300th or less. One of those is a three-star. And listen, I'm not trying to say sometimes you get what you get, um, but sometimes you get what you that's If that's what you got on the OL, you see teams. This is a talent game. You know why George is number one and Alabama's really number two? Because they got better players than everybody. And Ohio State's number three. They have better players than everybody. So sometimes you look at position groups and you say that offensive line really doesn't have a from a straight up out of high school standpoint recruiting rings. They don't have a lot of talent. For the first year that I can really remember, even in comparison to 2019, and that 2019 team had issues, but they also had their quarterback have his hip ripped from his body. Yeah. So I think that was a little bit different. But for the first year that I can really remember in a really long time, Alabama has an issue that just keeps rearing its head every you know, single week, and right. it doesn't matter who you're playing, and somebody, it's that offensive line. Somebody brought up the Tennessee game from 2015. So, well, you know, Alabama had a Heisman Trophy winning running back, and they almost lost to Tennessee, but the offensive line wasn't bad every week. It wasn't the best. Dominic Jackson was probably a liability that year, but it wasn't the worst. And this is probably the worst offensive line Nick Saban has had. And, um, you know, you got guys like Bill O'Brien and Doug Barone who probably thought – all right, let's go have fun in college. Let's coach these guys, and we'll end up back in the NFL next year. Is there an NFL team going to hire these guys after what they're doing? 
I don't know. I, would you? I think Bill O'Brien's name carries weight. Texans, get on Twitter. Texans fans love, they're like the only people tweeting about Bill O'Brien outside of Alabama fans because they love to slander Bill O'Brien and they have all the ammunition they need on Twitter right now. It's not slander, Jeremy, as a, as a long-suffering a Houston Texans fan. Well, you guys don't like Bill O'Brien. I think y'all credit no. Bill O'Brien with ruining your franchise. I do credit him with ruining the franchise. They're 1-8. and eight. They just lost to the Dolphins. They didn't so, score a single in, touchdown against the Dolphins. You know, to me, Bill O'Brien would have scored a touchdown against the Dolphins. I think that's a lot of the front office. Still would have won. Still would have lost by twenty-one. Yeah, I'm, I'm not calling for coaches to be fired. This is the but. curse of the Astros. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> like it, you know, if I'm Bill O'Brien at this point, I, I, I have an analyst tell me this is what Sarkeesian ran on third and six last year. Call the play. You know, like you don't. It's the stat guy behind Lane Kiffin. Right. (laughs) Hey, on third and three last year, this is what Steve Sarkeesian did. What's the book say? (laughs) What do the analytics tell me? We're not. It's like like Bill O'Brien's trying to reinvent the wheel, and it might be just an offensive line problem, and they can't get over it. But man, like Steve, like the blueprint is right there. This is the spread. You have better players at skills positions than the other team. And a lot of frustration for Alabama fans, guys, is LSU, dude, seven starters on defense out. Didn't even play. Every player in their secondary, I believe. Yeah. I've said this a lot, too, about Auburn. I've said Auburn fans got spoiled by Derrick Brown and Marlon Davidson being on that defensive line. And honestly, hindsight, I think those defenses underperformed with those two guys being on your football team. You should have had elite defenses. Alabama offensive or Alabama's offense. I think likewise, Alabama fans have been spoiled by Alabama's offense at the receiver position, not just offensive line, but the receiver position also. You had four first rounders in that room at one point. Last year, you still had two. This year, you got one. Listen, after that game, Jamison Williams is still, I mean, on Mel Kuyper's big board, is probably one of the top receivers to come And he should be. He's special. Yeah, but I mean, John Mechie, he caught a touchdown. I mean, it's not, I don't think it's their fault. I, th- I saw some plays where, Second and two to start the game, and we ran four verticals with Slade Bolden kind of being like your fifth receiver coming out of the backfield. Is and it nobody's still possible, open. though, and the point I'm trying to make here, it's not, it's not just about receivers. It's about offensive line. It's about, it's about the entire offense. You made a statement earlier, like, we just dropped under 40 points per game for the first time in a couple of seasons. It's like, I think Alabama fans have been spoiled a little bit, and they've came back into – the stratosphere, like they are re-entering Earth. They have been playing out of this world right. on offense. I, I this is you. normal. This is life. If you are basing your expectations this year from last year, you're going to be disappointed. But Alabama still ranks from a total defense and total offense average better than anybody in the country. If you take there, there. Somebody texted me this right now. They're listening to the show. Um, Alabama is 11th in total offense or 11th in total defense, 13th. In total offense. I mean, that's pretty That's pretty good. Be happy. But you can only ask Bryce Young to do what he did Saturday for so long. He's going to get hurt, first of all. And there's nobody behind Bryce Young. And it's just going to be really hard for Alabama to continue to play that poorly up front on offense and win games. Defense was lights out. They played great. They got hung out to dry in the second half. Um, they're gonna have to. They're gonna have to fix the offensive line, and maybe Darian Dalcourt comes back, and Chris Owens is done for the year. And they're gonna say we tried you at right tackle, we tried you at center. Neither one of them worked because at pre- Saban's press conference earlier today, he kind of had some high praise for Damian George. I wouldn't be surprised when they graded him out at the end of the game that um, he might have graded out at maybe a, a B plus or maybe maybe an A minus because he didn't get beat too much. There may have been some miscommunications that the average fan can't see, 
but I thought he played pretty well. But as soon as Chris Owens went in at center, it was pressure up the middle, and there was no stopping. I mean, it was just Bryce Young getting beat up. Let's head to a quick break here. When we come back, Jeremy will still be with us. We'll take a look at some of the other games that happen around the SEC and get his thoughts on the rest of what's going on in the Southeastern Conference. You're listening to On the Line. Wrapping up our number one of On the Line, Lance Daw, Noah Gardner, Jeremy Law here with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central, Alabama. If you want to call into the show, 334-321-1390 is the number to dial, or you can text us at 334-564-1840. We've only got Jeremy Law for just a few more minutes here in the SEC, or a few more minutes here for the last uh, for the last hour of or first hour of on the line. I want to take a look back at some of the results in the SEC this past weekend, and outside of Alabama barely beating LSU and Auburn losing to uh, Texas A&M, I would probably say the most surprising result from the weekend. This is just me personally. Is South Carolina beating Florida forty to seventeen? Do you guys think? Uh, that that this could be potentially the end of the road for Dan Mullen. I mean, we're talking about this last week, Noah, about how it may not be time to pull the plug on Mullen. But after seeing a performance like that, I think already his seat was kind of hot. I think it just got a lot hotter. Yeah, listen, what Dan Mullen's done the last few weeks has been I mean, it's probably one of the worst stretches for Florida since... McIlwain and Muschamp had some bad times. They, I just think, under the, at least under those guys, the team didn't quit. I think they've just quit on Dan Mullen. The Florida loss, I mean, the Georgia loss to them was just kind of dismantled them. And then well, South Carolina is not a great program. Shane Beamer might start to get things rolling, but they've had a really bad stretch. And it didn't help Dan Mullen last year, the shoe, shoe gate. And uh, then, you know, the way that they finished the year and now roll it, what are they, five and four, four and five, or whatever they are now. It's five not, and four. Five and four. Man, it's not a good look. It's not a good look. And Mullen, oh, Florida's four and five. South yeah, Carolina's five and I'm four. Saying. Excuse they're, me. They're four and five. And well, there's higher expectations, for especially coming off a year where you just won the East. And if you beat Alabama last year, you're in the college football playoff. And quite honestly, how they were playing might have been able to win the college football playoff national championship last year if they could have found a way to beat Alabama in Atlanta. I think that the seat is definitely heating up, but I'm still not ready to say that it's over. They have a really easy last three games. They play Sanford, Missouri, and Florida State. Now, two of those are losable if they play like they did against South Carolina. I'm not going to put that out of the realm of possibility. Seven and five. But also look at the first three years, though, that he's had at Florida, and he's taken them to a level that McIlwain couldn't put them at and Will Muschamp couldn't put him at. So he's gotten the closest to putting Florida back in the same realm that Urban Meyer had him at. Not there, but he's gotten the closest. So I still think let's don't be rash. Let's see how the season ends. But this definitely – changed my perspective a little bit because I thought he was going to win out. I thought he was going to do this to South Carolina. I thought the score was going to be flipped. I thought he was going to run through the last four games, that they were just going to be able to rely on their running game and do whatever they wanted. That didn't happen. This was so unexpected to me. Who knows what happens from here out? And also, this makes me wonder if there's an issue with culture. Yeah, and Lance, you got to ask yourself, who are you going to hire? That's always the, when you're going to fire somebody, you got to know who you hire. And I don't know who they really go after realistically to be able to hire to 
outdo Kirby, Nick, Jimbo Fisher. I don't know who that guy is. I just don't know. It's a similar situation for Auburn. I mean, they've already got their guy. It's just the recruiting aspect of it. I think you're going to have to get a guy that really knows what he's doing recruiting. Mario Cristobal, perhaps, could potentially be a guy that you look at. I want to point this out as we head, we head out of our number one here. Dan Mullen just lost by 23 to a team with a first-year head coach, a one-point win over Vanderbilt two weeks ago the 115th ranked offense in America and an FCS transfer quarterback making his first start. That's what Dan Mullen just lost to 40 to 17 this past weekend. That does not look good on any resume, much less Florida's. We're going to take a quick break. And on the other side of it, we've got our number two of on the line making headlines coming up. Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Hour number two of On the Line, Lance Daw, Noah Gardner here with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Really appreciate Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports stopping by to talk a little Alabama Crimson Tide football with us. Going to get into our making headlines segment here, as we always do, starting off hour number two of On the Line. If you want to call in at any point in this second hour, 334-321-321. 1390 is the number to dial, or you can text us at 334-564-1840. First headline here on the docket, Florida fired their defensive coordinator Tom Grantham or Grantham, and uh, their offensive line coach uh, John Hevesy. And I think the, uh, the Grantham uh, firing has been a long time in the making. Honestly, no, I'll get your thoughts on this. It was just a, a matter of time, I feel like, before Florida and Dan Mullen pulled, pulled the plug on him. Well, last season, of course, we know how bad the Florida defense was. They gave up over 30 points per game. This year, it's been a little bit better. Overall, they've just given up 24, 24.7 points allowed per game. But in conference play, they've been a little bit worse than that. And, of course, this game against South Carolina is the nail in the coffin, giving up 40 points to a team that I don't even know who they started at quarterback this past weekend, considering how many injuries they've had at the position. They lost their top two starters at the position. They were at least down to third string, potentially a 67-year-old quarterback that they pulled out of the (laughs) stands. I mean, it was the makings of a movie there in Columbia, South Carolina. All kidding aside, the defense, it makes sense. They were giving up nearly 27 points per game in conference play. That's just not going to cut it. And giving up 40 to South Carolina with as putrid as that offense has been, regardless of the opponent, that's just not acceptable. The move here that doesn't make a ton of sense to me, at least statistically, you have a hard time justifying it, is the offensive line coach, John Hevesy. Florida is seventh in the nation in sacks allowed. 48th in tackles for loss allowed, 4th in yards per rush, 12th in rushing yards per game. Now, I'm not going to say that the offensive line doesn't have some issues. Of course, some of these quarterbacks do encounter pressure, and they are mobile quarterbacks, so that's going to help drive down sacks. And, of course, by nature 
of how they play offensively, their scheme, that's going to help their rushing statistics. But I don't think the offensive line is the heart of this team's problems this year. The defense is definitely at the heart of it. You don't give up 40 to South Carolina, but I think the quarterbacks are the problem. They've had a revolving door at quarterback. They really don't have a passing game. They lost all of their receivers from last year. They lost several great skill position players at wide receiver, and the quarterbacks clearly weren't ready for this moment. And you and I asked this question in the offseason about Florida. Would these quarterbacks be able to consistently throw the football? And they just haven't. And honestly, they've been consistently bad at it. So I think you have to look at who's responsible for that. And last week, you and I said about Dan Mullen that it wasn't time to pull the trigger, but I definitely think there has to be some culpability there from Dan Mullen that this is his fault. This is year four. This, These are your recruits on offense. These are your quarterbacks. Why does it look like this? Why are they not prepared? These are clearly two scapegoats right now for greater issues right now in Gainesville. And if they lose more games, if somehow this team loses to Missouri and Florida State and they fail to make a bowl game, I think there is justification because it might – that we're, we're not in Gainesville. We don't cover Florida on a greater basis. But it would lend a hand that there may be greater issues underneath the results that you've gotten this year and things may not be looking great down the line, right? Sometimes you can lose the locker room. I don't know if that's happened yet. Once again, we don't cover Florida on a daily basis. But to lose this way to South Carolina, it's not a good look and it definitely opens the door that if they have repeat performances like this, and I said this last week, if it's a 4-8, and 5-7 and seven type of season, I totally would understand moving on from him because that's a McIlwain type of finish to his time at Florida. I would get that. There's just some seasons at some places that are just inexcusable. Auburn three and nine, Florida four and eight, five and seven. It makes sense. But if they get to a bowl, I wouldn't fire the guy because obviously he was able to generate some type of excitement in this team, or he was able to generate interest and engagement out of this team to be able to at least get them back to a bowl game where currently things are headed in a really nasty direction. Well, you talk about losing the locker room, and I I, I don't think that I, I or rather I don't know if that has happened yet this season but I will say you know Brian Johnson was on staff he I was either the OC or the quarterbacks coach at Florida last year and he was known as the guy that everybody in that program loved and then he left for the Eagles to be their quarterbacks coach this past year and I'm not saying oh losing your OC was the reason that this team has fallen apart I just look at a guy like that and knowing that everybody in that locker room loved him and kind of rallied behind him I just feel like, you know, Florida right now, they don't have guys outside of Mullen that can really tap into the emotions of this team. And you're seeing it out on the field because Dan Mullen obviously isn't doing it himself. Again, want to point out, talking about Grantham getting let go, they just gave up 40 points to a team. Well, technically, it was uh, it was it was 33 because of the the uh, defensive touchdown that South Carolina had. But they gave up that many points to the 115th best offense in America. That just is not going to cut it on any 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 given day. The quarterback you were saying you didn't know who it was on Saturday that was playing. Jason Brown transfer, I believe, out of St. Francis. I may be wrong on that. He was 14 of 24, had 175 yards passing and two touchdowns, no interceptions. But you're talking about the quarterbacks for Florida here, Noah. I completely agree. Uh, these guys have just simply not gotten it done so far this year. Emory Jones has 10 interceptions, 10 interceptions to 12 touchdowns. 
he, it's like if, if Auburn let Jeremy Johnson play the entire season back in 2015, this would be his stat line. You'd have about 1,600 yards passing, 12 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. Also, want to point out, this came out just a uh, couple hours ago. Dan Mullen said Gator quarterback Anthony Richardson hurt his knee dancing in the team hotel a day after he was cleared for con- concussion. That's coming from Edgar Thompson, who uh, writes for the o- Orlando Sentinel. So that is just uh, just another another situation there at that at the quarterback spot where it's like man Anthony Richardson may be the better guy to go with in the back half of their final games of the, this season but you don't now you don't really know if you're going to be able to have him and you're going to have to stick with Emory Jones who like you also mentioned no we were talking in the offseason we just don't know if he has the tools to be a a good quarterback in the SEC and obviously here we are four and five with Florida and it's just the the QB has not gotten it done this season And it's amazing to me that we're even talking about Anthony Richardson as the guy who has to have the keys to this offense. It should be Emory Jones. Emory Jones should be prepared for this moment. And it hasn't gotten better. It's gotten worse. These are dire moments for Florida right now. Missouri played Georgia tough in the first half. Missouri has the offense with the way that this defense is playing to beat them. If South Carolina can beat them, Missouri can beat them. I have major questions about Florida State, although they are playing a lot better than what they looked like after their 0-4 or 0-5 start or whatever. I still just don't think they have the dudes on offense, regardless of what defense they play, but I thought that about South Carolina. So still the door is open there. This team has to get to a bowl game. Has to. And there can't be a whole lot of vitriol and volatility in the locker room on the way there. And you hope that Dan Mullen's relationship with the decision makers inside the program it doesn't go volatile there either that's the other side of this everybody still has to be on board at the end of this season because it's going to be a rocky ride okay these are like those cliffs that you see in other countries where like you're trying to drive really slowly to make sure your car doesn't fall off the side of the mountain Mm -hmm. that's like florida right now the car could really fall off the side of the mountain here proceed with caution things could go south in a hurry and an absolute just downfall just in three weeks, it could be over. It really could. And this is going to be one of the most interesting situations moving forward in all of college football. I'm shocked we're here because this team, honestly, they, they've lost so many disappointing football games against teams that they should beat. And, um, you know, it, it, there's just no telling what happens here. I, I have no way to peg this. I still think it's too early to say it's over. But I think we'll know in three weeks for sure. The college football playoff poll gets released tomorrow night, but the AP poll was released on Sunday, and Auburn only dropped to number 16 uh, in the AP poll. Finally, I feel like Auburn's getting a little bit of respect from, uh, from the voters. They should be. I mean, this was one bad performance against Texas A&M, and A&M played really well. I have a lot of respect for this A&M football team now after we just watched them do what they did from a defensive standpoint against Auburn, which I don't think you can absolve Auburn either. I think Auburn did a lot of things to hurt themselves on offense. And I'm going to be excited to continue to break this game down and talk about our impressions. But Auburn does deserve respect. And I would hate to see folks across the country or folks in this fan base bail on this Auburn team because they just laid a massive egg in College Station 
a lot of teams have laid eggs this season. Look at Ole Miss. They laid an egg last week against Auburn. And Ole Miss is ranked number 12 right now in 7-2. and two. Auburn handled that team. Auburn handled Arkansas, another team that is just now getting to bowl eligibility at 6-3 and three and has some good wins on their schedule. You look across college football, Auburn is no different right here, but there are a ton of teams in college football that have had their bad performances and have laid eggs. Wake Forest just blew a three-possession lead against North Carolina, a 4-4 four and four football team, and just had their season ended their dream season ended, right? And of course, they can still make the ACC championship game, but there's been a lot of bumps in the road for a lot of teams. Baylor, another team, just lost to TCU, fell backwards four spots. That'll tell you about this college football season that a team just lost to a 3-5 and five TCU school and only dropped four spots in the poll. That's how topsy-turvy, that's how turbulent this college football season has been is that you can lose a game to a 3-5 and five football team and only fall four spots in the polls. You can lose 20-3 to three and that you have only scored six offensive points in the last six quarters and only drop four spots in the polls. Auburn is no different than a lot of teams in the country right now, and I still think, and this is wild, and that's what's made this such an entertaining year, we are going into what, week 11 now? Yes. Week 11, week 12? Week 11. Okay, so we're going into week 11 now, and I still don't think we know anything about a lot of teams in college football because one week they look really good, and then the next week they lose to someone by two touchdowns, and that team beat someone or lost to someone that the original team beat by two touchdowns, mm-hmm. right? It just it, There's no way to draw direct lines and links between results this season and that's what that's what's made this year so entertaining but likewise it's also made it equally frustrating i agree absolutely it's it's been up and down for a lot of different teams in college football so far this year that we thought would be good heading into the season. I guess that's the issue with preseason expectations uh it, it, it is you'll see teams like A&M, you know, falter and then come back and beat Alabama and then beat Auburn as well. You see Georgia on a roll right now. I think a question that we could be asking ourselves is, you know, with all these other upsets in college football, who's going to be the first team for the Bulldogs to fall to if they do? I mean, you're looking at this game against Tennessee this weekend in Knoxville as some as a game where it's like, well, Georgia's favored by 20 and a half points. They should win that game. It's like, well, will they, you know, based on what we've seen so far this season? I'm not I'm not calling for anything to happen. I'm just saying it's been that type of year where you head into yeah. a matchup and it's like, man, this team, this team should blow the blow this other team out. And then it, you you come out of it and it's like, wow, A&M beat Alabama 41 to 38. How on earth did that happen? It's just been it's been that type of season and I think Auburn like you were saying, Noah, they've had a little bit more stability than a lot of other programs out there. Not not to uh, not to forget about the fact that you know Auburn still got a lot of things to accomplish in these final three or four games of the year, and I think they've got a lot of uh, of things uh, to potentially capitalize on in Brian Harson's first year. Uh, with the Tigers. Another headline here, Texas Tech hired Baylor associate head coach Joey McGuire as their uh, head coach. I know a, uh, a Tech fan personally, and he is very 
he, I wouldn't say he's very negative about everything going on in the program, but he's he was not thrilled uh, with, with this hire. He did not think that this was the best move to make. Noah, what are your thoughts? Before I go to that, and I do think he should be thrilled, but before I go to that, I want to say this about this college football season. There's two te- There's two things that I would like to see changed after this year, and I think we've reached enough evidence this year to where it substantiates this claim. Two things. A, quit with targeting ejections. I'm done with it. I'm tired of seeing a guy get objected every single week, and a key guy at that every single week, for an arbitrary call on the field that oftentimes I think they're getting wrong. And it's for, you know, and and it's a guy clearly trying to avoid committing targeting. It's a guy clearly trying to avoid targeting somebody. We saw this in North Carolina Wake Forest game. Gimmel got taken out for North Carolina. And clearly, I think he was trying to avoid that. He He was not trying to massacre the dude. And what ended up happening is that Wake Forest player lowers his shoulder and they, they both go to the, they both lower their bodies a little bit, and there's helmet to helmet contact, and Gimmel's the one who ends up getting hit with targeting, and now he's out of the ballgame. We've seen it at Auburn multiple times this season. Heck, we almost saw it this weekend against Texas AM. I think there was, there have been like Owen Papo's targeting call or Zach Zacoby McLean's in the Penn State game. That was less of targeting than Smoke Monday making Zach Calzada's arm go numb, I think based off of slow-mo video. But I I don't think either of those guys deserve to get ejected. And I think there's been so many ejections this year and such a harsh interpretation of the rule this year that we have enough to move on from that. Let's change that rule. The second thing that I think we have enough to change here, I was also watching the North Carolina Wake Forest game. This was something else that I pulled from that game. Listen to Todd Blackledge talking about this. And they're not going to because the AP poll makes money. There's sponsorships for that kind of stuff. People want to talk about the polls. We shouldn't have a poll until week eight or week nine. We should not have rankings until we are four weeks or so into conference play across college football, maybe even deeper into that. And I think the college football playoffs doing it right, waiting for their rankings to start in November. I think we should be doing that across football. Here's my example, and there's a lot of teams that fit this category this year. Kentucky got up as far as 11th this year. Who are Kentucky's biggest wins this season? Florida and LSU. Both of those teams are below 500. We all are not used to seeing Kentucky beat teams like Florida and LSU the way that they did. So we were like, oh, Kentucky's good. We got fooled. Kentucky's not that good. I mean, they're going to finish 9-3 and because of a weak schedule, but they're not that good. They've lost three games in a row, and they haven't looked good doing it. So my thing is, let's just pump the brakes. Let's get rid of the polls, too. I think those are two things that I think we've got enough evidence this year. Will either of them happen? I think targeting were close. And and honestly, they may change that rule by next year. But as far as polls are concerned, those will be around. They'll never move on from that. But I would love to see them move on from that. Thoughts on that? I know I went in a different direction, but that was something I wanted to add to our previous conversation. I really like what you were saying on on both of those fronts. I, I completely agree about the targeting. As far as the polls go, look, like you mentioned, they may not get abolished in the future to the point where we we don't see them until week eight or week nine but now that i'm thinking about that i would absolutely love it if that were the way that 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 things were determined because it takes out you know when you're looking at resumes in the college football playoff committees looking at resumes they are not looking at teams that have a certain amount of top 20 ap top 25 wins to be be honest with you the people that vote on the ap poll 
I wouldn't necessarily say all of them are completely biased, but after, and I've talked about this before on the show, I don't like the way some of, some of the uh, AP voters skew the poll, where it's, it's objective. I know that a poll is a subjective opinion, but there are certain things where, like, I keep going back to this example. Having 0-4, 0-5 Arizona in your top 25, that is objectively wrong. That is just not that is a poll should no way should that be a factor in determining the best 25 college football teams in America. The AP poll is not a good thing. It is an irrelevant poll. And I think that it would be really important to stress the importance of polls after we get some results from the season, right? Like you said, no, I don't think it's ever going to go away. I think we're going to still have preseason expectations and top 25 polls from from uh, USA Today, the coaches poll and the Associated Press and all these different places. But it would be nice to see the CFP, the AP, and USA Today all release their polls late into the season after we get some information because – I'm just, straight up. I think that there's some bias in in both in both of these polls that are not voted on by the committee. I even think there's bias in the in the polls that the committee's putting out. It's just wait until we get to see some of these teams in action and get some actual results in before we start drawing conclusions about where they rank as the if they are in the top 25 teams in college football. I 100% agree with that. Cincinnati is another team that falls into that category. Yep. The AP poll they start out at eighth teams start losing them all all around them they get up to second and now there's this major wave of wokeism in college football where everybody's like Cincinnati should be in the college football playoff and then each week they're only beating Tulsa by eight Navy by seven right they look like garbage against Tulane it's like they're not putting together the best resume right now the the win over Notre Dame continues to look more and more impressive each week but I'm just not and more teams have to lose for me to get on the boat for Cincinnati in. But I am now in favor of a 12 team playoff. I've really moved along I, in the offseason. I was not for it. But after this season and everything that we've seen and another year of football, and this is a conversation for another day, but just to allow those teams to get a shot at it. I think the the format of what they were discussing in the offseason with your six highest-ranked conference champions that ensures a group of five team gets in. Could be two if you've got the ACC playing the way that they are this year. Um, I think that that's the best way to go about things and to get your six at-large six at bids in. It's going to make for fun postseason play. I have no problem with that. But let's head back to the Texas Tech storyline. Actually, let's go ahead and take a quick break. We, we we ran a little long in that segment. On the other side, we'll talk about whether or not Joey McGuire, the new Texas Tech head coach, is an, is a good fit for the Red Raiders. You're listening to On the Line. Back on On the Line, Lance Daw, Noah Gardner here with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. We didn't get to every single headline in our Making Headlines segment, and I just want to ask you, Noah, before we move on here, unless you want to continue with our Making Headlines segment, Joey McGuire, the new Texas Tech head coach, was the former Baylor associate head coach. He will be, uh, he will be guiding the Red Raiders now. What are your thoughts on McGuire as the new hire? Well, Auburn folks around here, people in the state of Alabama listening may be wondering, why are you guys talking about Texas Tech? Well, I do think that this could have greater importance in all of the land of college football with the shifting sands in the Big 12 with Texas and Oklahoma coming to the SEC. There's room now. LeBron has left the Eastern Conference. He's in the West. Just like in the (laughs) NBA, there was room for someone else to become the top dog in the East. And look what happened. The Milwaukee Bucks won the NBA Finals. 
the Milwaukee Bucks won the NBA Finals, guys. You know, that's kind of what's happening here in the Big 12 is that someone else can win the Big 12 now other than Oklahoma. And there's room here for Texas Tech to elevate their program to a place where it hasn't been really with consistency since the early 2010s and, and maybe even beyond that since the last time that we saw Mike Leach coaching there. And, you know, I kind of thought it was funny. I was talking with Jeremy earlier today, and it seemed like Texas Tech maybe wanted to go back to Mike Leach, which wouldn't have been a bad idea, especially with the way that the program is still built. It's still built in the image of what Mike Leach made it to be back in the late 2000s. But here's why I like Joey McGuire from Baylor to Texas Tech. Joe McGuire, the associate head coach at Baylor. He's been there for five seasons. He joined Matt Rule's staff in 2017, a part of the rebuild that Matt Rule was putting together. And then after Matt Rule leaves to go to the Carolina Panthers, he was in the running to become the next head coach at Baylor at that time. They passed on him for Dave Aranda. I get it. Dave Aranda's worked out has been awesome. But if you'll remember, Dave Aranda had a bad season last year, only won two games. He's been a part of two rebuilds at Baylor of all places, Baylor and Texas Tech. Of course, Baylor's had more success than Texas Tech in the last decade. But if you're talking about similar footprints in their general prestige in the Big 12 history, Texas Tech and Baylor are in the same realm. They are 5-4 and four this year. They're experiencing more success than they typically do. He's known for his recruiting prowess. At, while he's been at Baylor, Baylor has not finished lower than 5th in the Big 12 in recruiting. And they've had to go against Oklahoma. They've had to go against Texas. That's a given. Those teams, so really, they finished 3. They have not finished lower than 3rd amongst everyone else that they're competing with because they're not going to finish higher than Oklahoma and Texas. Just nobody in the Big 12 is, right? And so he's done a really good job with helping elevate Baylor recruiting. And that's a big reason why Baylor is successful on a relatively consistent basis. Like I said, last 10 years, this Baylor program's been pretty good. And they've had Big 12 championship caliber teams. And this year's team is no different. They're in the running. And that's based on talent. They're more talented than most of the Big 12. Texas Tech needs that right now because Texas Tech has not finished higher than the middle, the midway point of the Big 12. They have not finished in the top half of the Big 12 over that same time period in recruiting. He's a longtime successful high school football coach in the state of Texas with deep ties to the Dallas-Fort Worth area, a place that Texas Tech should be looking to recruit into. It makes sense. He knows how to run a program from a CEO standpoint. He's had a lot of success with it at Baylor with two really good coaches at the college level at Dave Aranda and, um, and Matt Rule. He's had success at Baylor. I don't see why he couldn't do that at Texas Tech with now the two with now two of the powerhouses leaving the league. Well, you've sold me there. Joey McGuire is the new Texas Tech head coach. Let's see what he's able to do with the Red Raiders. Could be interesting there. Texas Tech Red Raiders National Champions 2026. Book it. 2026. All right. Is that is that uh, is that uh, pre pre like you've been thinking about that for a while? No, nope, I've a random, made the decision right now. Made the decision. You're committing to it. Thank you, Noah. 2026. I'm gonna go ahead and buy a Texas Tech shirt now so I can get on the bandwagon. I early. honestly, I just love the colors of Tech. I love their basketball jerseys. I may just buy a couple of shirts and hoodies yeah. just for the fun of it. That's not a joke. That's not a slight at anything. I actually really do enjoy Texas Tech uh, Texas Tech basketball and the colors of the program as well. Let's head to a quick break. More of On the Line on the other side.
stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Back on On the Line, Lance Daw, Noah Gardner here with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. This was not in our Making Headlines segment, but we want to get to it here briefly. Nebraska just announced that Scott Frost is coming back next season with a restructured deal. And I think a topic of conversation on this show after Nebraska lost to Illinois uh, at the beginning of the season between you and I, Noah, a topic of conversation was, you know, how long is Nebraska going to hold on to Frost? And we looked at the the, the schedule down the line, and we were like, man, this is going to be really rough. We don't even know if they're going to be able to make it to a bowl game. And to be honest with you, it doesn't really look like they still have a great opportunity to do so right now, sitting at three and – well, they're, they're eliminated, actually. I thought they were three and six. They're three and seven right now, so they will not be going to a bowl this year. But You never know. They could, there could not be enough bowl-eligible teams this year, and they could have the academics. We've the, seen that before. <laughs> if, there was ever, if there was ever a year for there not to be enough bowl-eligible teams and, and for, for what happened – I believe it happened to Mississippi State a couple of years ago – uh, when yep. they were five and seven, who knows? That could possibly happen. But they would have to beat uh, number twenty-one Wisconsin and number twenty-two Iowa uh, to get to that point. But talking about this Nebraska program and the way they've been competitive this season, I mean, you look at their past man. Wow, you look at their past four games. Three of them have been decided by one score, and that Ohio State matchup this past weekend was really close until late. This is a team that's had a lot of fight. And I think they're showing signs of life under Scott Frost. They're just not getting wins. And who knows, maybe next season uh, they could start turning some of those close losses into victories. Here's the – I'm split here. Here's what's interesting about this. You're right. They have – this is a better Nebraska team than what we've been used to seeing out of Scott Frost. Typically at this point, they're 3-7, and seven and they're getting hammered by everybody, right? And they're getting hammered in the big games, whereas this year they've – Risen to the occasion, lost Illinois by eight. That's a bad loss. I don't think they played well there, but lost Oklahoma by seven. They're making Oklahoma look bad right now. They lost to Michigan State by three, lost to Michigan by three, lost to Minnesota by seven, lost to Purdue by five, and lost to Ohio State by nine. They've played everybody really close. And on the one hand, that is impressive, and you could say that that's improvement. Now I'm beginning to wonder, is it Scott Frost's fault, though, that they're not getting over the hump and they're not winning these close games? At some point, whose fault is it? Why are you losing games this close every time, right? Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. And I, to be honest with you, I don't really know who to attribute it to other than Scott Frost, and he's just not uh, coaching his team up to, to get over the hump. Like you mentioned, multiple games so far this season where they it's been one score or really, really, really close down to the wire. They've just not gotten over the hump. I also think recruiting is a little bit of a factor in this as well. It's like we were talking about with the Auburn A&M game earlier on in the show. They just simply did not have enough recruits to to uh, simply get it done. So, uh, yeah, Nebraska in a tight spot right now. I guess just trying to hold on to something, and that something being competitiveness. Let's head to the phone lines now, 334-321-1390. And Anthony is on the line with us. Hey, Anthony, how you doing? Hey, guys, how's it going? I'm doing well, Anthony. How are you doing? I'm pretty good. I want to stick with college football. Do you guys think uh, Jake Bentley going to get a, a shot next year in the league um, in the NFL? Uh, he got injured against Troy early. I think he was having a pretty good game uh, 
Saturday night, and he was three for three, and then he got injured. I don't think he returned, but I uh, just wanted to know that you think he's going to get a shot next year uh, in the draft or whatever. Well, I certainly think he has the size to be an NFL quarterback. I mean, he's like, what, 6'4", 220. He's been playing well at South this year. Like you mentioned, he got hurt during the game. I would say that there's a shot that he's an undrafted free agent and he's playing as a third or second string quarterback on an NFL roster. I would definitely say that's a possibility. Again, just given the fact that he's got the size to be an NFL quarterback. So I would say, yeah. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, this guy, they really hadn't. I, I I kept up with them all year, and I don't think they've really turned them loose, man. I've seen this guy sling it in high school, man. I mean, they he was throwing bombs, man. And, you know, and they they like now they might have him throwing like curls in, or, but I like them for him just, man. Just throw the he throws bombs, you know. So, but I just wanted to get y'all opinion on him and uh, and. Uh, Enjoy listening to y'all, and y'all have a good day. Absolutely, Anthony. Really appreciate the phone call. That was Anthony on the line with us. 334-321-1390 is the number to dial. Yeah, we'll get to Jake Bentley in a second, but let's head back to the phone lines. And Ty is on the line with us. Hey, Ty, how are you doing? Uh, what's going on, guys? Um, man, you know, Saturday, we really just really come down to one scoop and score um, away from really having a little bit better chance of winning that ball game. Um, I mean, in my opinion, and I, and I may have missed it, guys. I'm sorry if I came in a little late, but, I mean, do y'all really – do y'all do y'all, blame the offensive line or Bo more for that loss? Um, you got to blame – if you're going to blame somebody, again, I know you don't want to toss blame, but if we got to, who do, who do y'all really put a little bit more on? I'm throwing it on the coordinator. I don't think the offensive line played as bad as Bo made them look at times. So if I, if I was having to stack blame here, and we were actually about to get to that here uh, coming up on this segment, we had planned to talk about who deserves more criticism, Bo or Bobo. I would say Bobo is, is the is the place where I'm going first. I didn't love the game plan. And then I also don't think Bo got a whole lot of help from some of the guys around him, but I don't think the O-line played horrible. I don't think it played well. I think it, I think it played, you know, one of its – one of its more poor games of the season, one of its poor games of the season. But I also think Bo made them look a little bit worse than um, than they actually played. He did have some happy feet, and I think he missed some throws too. He wasn't accurate hardly at all, even on open on open receivers. So I think the blame definitely could go around to a lot of people. I would probably go with the, with the coaching staff first in this game, honestly, at least on the offensive side. And then I would just say they all kind of equally share blame. Nobody really executed on the offense well at all. Receivers were dropping plat- passes. O-line didn't play that great, and, and quarterback definitely didn't either. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I mean, if we'd have got 100 yards in rushing, I, I, I would have said you couldn't really even put this on the O-line. They did, you know, their job. and I mean, yeah, Bo did get – I feel like Bo got sacked a bunch, but – like you said, I feel like a lot of it was happy feet. I feel like, I mean, you know, even the announcers um, were talking about how he was throwing darts, you know, 10, 10, 10 yards away. And he's, I mean, he's putting everything he's got into the ball. Um, and and I, I just, I, you know, on the road, Bo has problems. Um, he's, he's done it for, I mean, the only time not on, you know, you could only say on the road would be neutral site games that I've ever seen him play very good. Um, now he has had some this year, 
and it's been very, very good. Um, and I think that's what everybody was expecting. Um, but I think Bo tries to make – he tries to go win it too hard. And, and he, you got to commend the guy because he, he feels like there's a ton of bricks on his shoulder and everybody's looking at him, which they are. And as soon as we lost, what all you hear? Get rid of Bo. Now, I'm not saying getting rid of him. I'm not saying benching for TJ. I mean, Bo, like, we got two of our biggest three games at home. Bo's going to play well. Thought South Carolina was a mail-in ballot, but after what they did in Florida. I mean, That's fair. You, you really got to kind of look at that one as well. Um, but that being said, guys, I, I, I think I, I think we'll be okay the next three games. We'll end, I think we'll, we'll end the season, worst-case scenario, eight and four. But I mean, going forward, I mean, you, you, you got to look at you got to look at. I mean, again, I know this is way down the road, but you know, I mean, who do we bring in next year? But does Bo? Did, I mean, to you guys, even if Bo stay, I mean, if he, he's if obviously he probably will stay. He's not going to the NFL. But even if he stays here or he transfers out and plays one more year, I mean, have, and I, and I don't, I'm not, I'm not killing the guy, and I'm not hating on him. But have y'all ever seen a worse three-year starter? I mean, like Bo, I mean, the way he, again, not just worse talent-wise, because the kid's got talent for days, but poise, game management. I don't know if I know another three-year starter that still can't just settle down and throw a slant. Um, I mean, Jason Campbell was that way. It took him four years. Yeah, I mean... And, and I, I, and I think, think there's been much worse options than Bo in the last decade. Like, I would take Bo over Sean White. Sean White played two years. And Jared Sidham had a much worse second season than Bo's having right now. I mean, Jared, I saw Jared Sidham in a live football game throw two interceptions to the same Tennessee defensive lineman, right? I mean, that, there have been worse times than this. I agree, I, I, I'm with you. There, there is, There's reason to be sore about what happened on Saturday, and I do think he played bad on Saturday. He did. But I, I also think there's been a lot worse, even in the last decade. And, I mean, Jeremy Johnson was bad. He was here for two or three years. Not a starter for two or three years. But, I mean, I, I there's been worse. I also but want to, I, I also I want to say the, I, I don't think that Nix is the worst, but I will agree as a three-year starter in the SEC, as a former five-star quarterback, he is not playing to the expectations that we had at the beginning of his career and even to the expectations, I think, occasionally that we had of him this season. And that's my point is, you know, you, we thought we were seeing some improvement um, in the last couple games. But then after this game, I mean, what? let me ask you this. After watching last game, what? how much better is he than when he threw the uh, pass at, in, in, um, in AT&T to, to, against Oregon? That was his first game, correct? Yes. The very first game he played was against Oregon. He threw the pass at the end. How much, I mean, literally, how much improved has he gotten from that game to this game? Well, I think this year he's taken a big step because I, I don't know if he's able to go into Arkansas. This Arkansas team is better than what people what, what, what people have seen over the last couple of years from Arkansas. He went on the road there and played a really good game, and I don't know if he's, he's – he's, he may not be a ton better. I'll, I'll, get, I'll tip my hat there to you. I don't know if he's a ton better, but I do think he is – Better he's this not a year. three-year SEC starter. Better no, and that's I think what frustrates us Auburn fans is we. Well, I mean, and again, I mean, he he has gotten better this year, but a lot of that I think I told y'all that a long time ago. It has to do with the coach. You know, uh, you know, y'all are putting this on the coaching staff. 
I I didn't. I mean, there was that the, the flea flicker. Yes, that was crazy. I, that was the bad. That was that was that was a bad play because we dropped the ball. If we if he'd have picked it up and thrown it down the field, it'd been an awesome play call. But I didn't think it was the play call on Saturday. I, I thought it was the offensive line was getting beat. Which hey, they they, they were man man childs over there on defense line. See what they did to Bama. I mean, that is what it is. I mean, those those that's probably the second best defensive line in in the SEC behind Georgia, hands down, to, in my opinion. So I, I don't blame the offensive line too much. I mean, they, they had they they played as much as they could against the better skilled players against them. But I, again, I just think that the, the the reason why the Auburn fans are so frustrated is because we still see that same kid that played against Oregon in games like this, and we just don't understand how you don't get better. But anyway, guys, hey, look, I hope he. I'm, I'll be at the game this Saturday. I hope he throws for 400 yards and has a great game. Wish the kid all of luck, man. As always, War Damn Eagle. Appreciate it, Todd. That is the right attitude. I'm with him there. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I was going to say. That's the right mindset as the as an Auburn fan that I that I want to have heading into the weekend. It's like, let's be aware of the situation that we're in. Let's be aware of what we're dealing with right now. Let's accept the fact that it's not going to change until Bo graduates or we get a guy that comes in that this coaching staff desi- decides can play better than him to the point where he is uh, starting multiple games for the Tigers in succession and he has taken over the quarterback job. I'm saying that because I don't think T.J. Finley is the answer uh for for Auburn's quarterback situation now or in the future but I also do think that as fans it it is also it is also right to go into to games on Saturday and not root against our starting quarterback because we want our team to win so I I agree with him I hope Bo performs well I think that uh I think that he will especially given the fact that it is at home and Mississippi State does not have a very good uh pass defense so we'll just have to see what happens but yeah that's the mindset I think you got to need to you you got to have is is let, let's root for our team but let's also be aware of the situation that we're in. You know, and on the one hand I I do see the criticism there of Bo like how much better is he? And now that he's asked that question, I'm struggling with that because I have two games to say this year he's played really well against two good teams, Ole Miss and Arkansas, and that's it. And that's more than you can say that he did last year. And he had some good games in his freshman year, but he also had some really bad games in his freshman year. So I do think he's better. Is it to the point that people want to see it? No, you guys are right on that. But there's still – the drops reappeared on Saturday. Mm-hmm. The offensive line wasn't – it didn't win the trenches. I don't think it got destroyed, but I i don't think it won the trenches. And I don't think the game plan did a ton for him. I would have loved to have seen Auburn commit to the running game. But I'll say this about Auburn's passing offense, and I harped on this last week. Auburn is averaging, or was, going into this weekend. It may not be after this past game against A&M because they didn't hit 200, but – Going into the A&M game, Auburn was averaging 250 pass yards per game. Do you know the last time that that happened? Uh, Probably not, because I went back to 04. That's the the last year that ESPN keeps statistics. I was about to say it's been a while. The last time, the last year that ESPN keeps team statistics is 2004. And to that point, the closest that Auburn got to averaging 250 pass yards per game was 2004 and they had 237 per game and that was a much different time period i mean i'll tell you how good jason campbell was in 04 and how reliable he was at throwing the football but he also had two first round running backs behind him 
and guys that caught the football on a regular basis. He had Devin Aromashadu, Ben Obamanu, and Courtney Taylor, three of the better receivers that Auburn's had in the last 20 years too, right? Whereas Bo Nix is throwing to a ton of freshmen that have been inconsistent this year, and I thought they were developing consistency. Instead, they just kept dropping the football left and right. And so, uh, at least in this past ball game, they did. So there's there's a lot of disappointment there with the way that everybody played on offense, and blame can go around all across the board. It was just poor, and that's what Brian Harson said today in his press conference. He said at the end of the day, there's not much to talk about there on offense. It was poor, and I think we're going to drive ourselves insane trying to make sense of it because honestly, I think the best way to make sense of this is to say it doesn't make sense. Auburn's recruiting hasn't really set them up for a ton of success on offense. And they just played bad. That's how you make sense of it. They just played bad. And sometimes that's just how sports go. Let's take a quick break. And on the other side, we'll wrap up the Monday edition of On the Line. Dan, hold on. We'll get to your phone call again on the other side of this break. Wrapping up the Monday edition of On the Line, Lance Dawn, Noah Gardner here with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Really appreciate all the phone calls that we've had today, and let's get back to the phone lines. 334-321-1390 is the number to dial, and Dan's been hanging on for a little bit. Dan, how you doing? Hey, guys. Hey, Dan, how you doing? Yeah, pretty good, pretty good. Uh, I'm just now tuning in today. I've been busy. But um, I'll just say, look, look, Bo's wasn't perfect. He's far from perfect, but he started out the game pretty hot. But, you know, until you get guys catching balls that they should catch, I'm not talking about the hard ones, but, you know, we drop too many balls that are just right in our hands. And then, I mean, obviously, against a really good defensive front where, you know, they don't have to load the box, you know, our guys have a hard time getting open, and then our line just can't block long enough. And, I mean, it's just, you know, I can see him getting frustrated and, you know, but you, know, you mentioned two games. He, he, I thought he did pretty good in the LSU game. He even didn't even play bad in the Penn State. He really – it's just against the two best defenses, you know, that's where he struggled the most. You know, and, I mean, it is what it is. I don't know what quarterback would have done much better in those circumstances. Uh, you know, I mean, but I, I think he's, he's improved a lot this year. Uh, you know, but, I mean, those were the two best defenses. And they might be two of the best defensive lines you play between Georgia and, and them. And it's just – it's just tough, and you can't have those mistakes. You can't miss the field goals. You can't, you know, um, have all the other things happen. And then, you know, thank goodness the defense played pretty darn well for the most part, you know. But a few of those extra first downs, you know, just it builds momentum. It helps. You know, it's like when we missed that field goal in the, in the second half, it just took kind of the momentum like right out of our <laughs> sails, you know, a 33-yarder. We're supposed to make that with our eyes closed, you know. But I and maybe you start running the ball more, too, if you take that lead, which I, I, I'm i bummed that Auburn just – they haven't committed to the running game this year. That That's my only criticism of this coaching staff at this point. You got the best running back in the league, and they won't commit to it. Bixby averaged 4.6 yards per carry against that defensive line. I thought they run blocked fairly well. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, look, for the most part, I've been pretty happy with Bobo, you know. I mean, you can always look back at it and say, hey, we should have did this and should have did that. But it, it, it still was a tough front. So, I mean, it, it just – look, we, we know what, our, what our, our weaknesses are. We just got to recruit better on the offensive line and, and at receiver and just keep developing those guys. And then, you know, they can catch up to the other positions that seem to be, you know, in better shape. But, you know, but I think we can, I still think we can win the win out, you know. And, you know, honestly, I, don't need, I, might, I might want to win out and just let Texas A&M go and get beat by Georgia or something. Yep. 
Appreciate yeah. the phone call, we Dan. We just want to finish strong and, and, you know, just keep getting better. And then, you know, I think we're going in the right direction. But appreciate it, guys. Appreciate it, Dan. Yeah, I agree with everything you were saying there. And look, you, you can't expect for Knicks to win games like this when the talent around him isn't good enough to beat the other team. I think we can, we've can. we learned that at this point. He's not going to perform to a five-star level like an Alabama or a Georgia quarterback would. You know why? Because he doesn't have Alabama or Georgia talent around him. And so the coaching staff's doing the best they can. I think Knicks is doing the best they can. To be honest with you, I think the players around him are doing the best they can. They just don't have the guys, and it's just going to take a little bit to get that recruiting going. So that's that, that's that's my thought on that. And that's going to do it for the Monday edition of On the Line. Man, you know what I'm really looking forward to talking about tomorrow? Morehead State and Auburn's season opener, Auburn basketball getting started. We'll talk to you guys then.